Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A series of unfortunate events. Book the fourth, The Miserable Mill, chapter eight. I'm so used to you saying book the third. I know. I kind of, honestly, I wanted to say book the third too. How weird. I thought you were going to say book the third. Yeah, weird. All right. What happened today? What what did we have to run home for really quickly? Because the goats got out. Yeah, two of the goats got out. So we had to run home, put them back in. Fortunately... Everybody was okay, but thankfully we had a neighbor that let us know. Is buddy still outside? No, he's inside. Yeah. Okay, chapter 8, Dr. Georgina Orwell. The Baudelaire orphan stood outside the gates of Lucky Smills Lumber Mill and looked at the ambulance rushing past them as it took Phil to the hospital. They looked at the chewed-up gum letters on the lumber mill sign, and they looked down at the cracked pavement of Paltryville Street. In short, they looked everywhere but at the I-shaped building. We don't have to go, Violet said. We could run away. We could hide until the next train arrives and take it as far, as far as possible. We know how to work in a lumber mill now, so we could get jobs in some other town. But what if they find us, said Klaus, squinting at his sister. Who would protect us from Count Olaf if we were all by ourselves? Well, we could protect ourselves, Violet replied. How can we protect ourselves, Klaus asked, when one of us is a baby and another one can barely see? We've probably, we've protected ourselves before, Violet said. Just barely, Klaus replied. We've just barely escaped from Count Olaf each time. We can't run away and try to get along by ourselves without glasses. We have to go see Dr. Orwell and hope for the best. Sunny gave a little shriek of fear. Violet, of course, was too old to shriek, except for in emergency situations. But she was not too old, and, too old to be frightened. We don't know what will happen to us inside there, she said, looking back at the door of the eye's pupil. Think, Klaus. Try to think. What happened to you when you were there? I don't know, Klaus said miserably. I remember trying to tell Charles not to take me to the eye doctor, but he kept telling me, that doctor that doctors were my friends and not to be and not to be frightened ha sunny shrieked which meant ha and then what do you remember violet asked klaus closed his eyes in in thought i wish i could tell you but it's like that part of my brain has been wiped clean it's like i was asleep from the moment i walked into that building until right here at the lumber mill but you weren't asleep violet said you were walking around like a zombie and then you you caused an accident and hurt poor Phil. But I don't I don't remember those things, Klaus said. And as if I his voice trailed off as he stared into the into space for a minute. Klaus, Violet said worried. It's as if I was hypnotized, Klaus finished. He looked at Violet and then at Sunny. And his sisters could see that he was figuring something out. Of course, hypnosis would explain everything. I thought hypnosis was only in scary movies, Violet said. 
Oh, no, Klaus answered. I read the Encyclopedia of the Hypnotica last year. It described all of these famous cases of hypnosis through the history. There was an ancient Egypt king who was hypnotized, and all of the hypnotists had to do was shout Ramses, and the king would perform chicken imitations, even though he was in front of a royal court. That is very interesting, Violet said, but... A Chinese merchant who lived during a Ling dynasty, the Ling dynasty was hypnotized. All of the hypn- all the hypnotists had to do was shout Mao, and the <coughs> merchant would play the violin even though he had never seen one before. These are amazing stories, Violet said. But a man who lived in England in the nineteenth in the nineteen twenties was hypnotized. All the hypnotists had to do was shout Bloomsbury, and he suddenly became a brilliant writer even though he couldn't read. Manzi, Sunny shrieked, which probably meant, we don't have time to hear these stories, Klaus. Klaus grinned. I'm sorry, he said, but it was very, it was a very interesting book, and I'm so pleased that it's coming in handy. Well, what did the book say about how to stop you from being hypnotized, Violet asked. Klaus's, Klaus grin, wait, Klaus's grin faded. Nothing, he said. Nothing? Violet repeated. An entire encyclopedia of a hip about hypnosis said nothing about it at all. Well, if it did, I didn't read any of it. <coughs> oh, poor little Pepe. Um, I didn't read any of it. I thought the parts of the famous hypnosis cases were the most interesting, so I read those. But I skipped to the boring parts. Or I skipped the boring parts. For the first time since they had walked out of the gates of the lumber mill, the Baudelaire orphans looked at an I-shaped building, and the building looked back at them. To Klaus, of course. Dr. Orwell's office just looked like a big blur. But to his sisters, it looked like trouble. The round door, painted black to resemble the pupil of an eye, looked like a deep and endless hole, and the children felt as if they were going to fall into it. I'm never skipping the boring parts of a book again, Klaus said, and walked cautiously towards the building. You're not going inside, Violet oh, You're not going inside, Violet said incredulously, a word here which means in a tone of voice to indicate Klaus is being foolish. Well, what else can we do, Klaus said quietly. He began to feel along the side of the building and the front of the door. And at this point, the story of the Baudelaire orphans, it would it, I would like to interrupt for a moment and answer a question I am sure you are asking yourself. It is an important question, one which many, many people have asked many, many times in many, many places all <coughs> over the world. The Baudelaire orphans have asked, of course. Mr. Poe has asked it, and I have asked it. My beloved Beatrice has, before her timely death, has asked it, and... Although she asked it too late, the question is, where is Count Olaf? If you have been following the story of these three orphans since the very beginning, then you know that Count Olaf is always lurking around these poor children, plotting the next scheme to get his hands on the Baudelaire fortune. Within days of the orphans' arrival at the new place, count at a new place, Count Olaf and his nefarious assistants, the word nefarious here means Baudelaire hating, are usually on the scene sneaking around and committing a disaster, d- committing disasterly deeds. And yet so far he has been nowhere to be found. 
So, as the three youngsters reluctantly head towards Dr. Orwell's office, I know you must be asking yourself where in the world this despicable villain can be. The answer is very nearby. Violet and Sunny walked to the I-shaped building and helped their brother up the steps to the door. But before they can open it, the pupil swung open to reveal a person in a long white coat with the name tag reading Dr. Orwell. Dr. Orwell was a tall woman with blonde hair pulled back from her head and fashioned in a tight bun. She had a big had big black boots on her feet and was holding a long black cane with a shiny red jewel on top. Why, hello, Klaus, Dr. Orwell said, nodding formally at the Baudelaire's. I didn't expect to see you back so soon. Don't tell me you broke your glasses again. Unfortunately, yes, Klaus said. That's too bad, Dr. Orwell said, but you're in luck. We have a few appointments today, so come on in and I'll do the next I'll do the ne- the necessary tests. The Baudelaire orphans looked at one another nervously. This wasn't what they expected at all. They expected Dr. Orwell to be a much more sinister figure. Count Olaf in disguise, for instance, or one of his, his terrifying assistants. They expected that she would be snatched that they would be snatched inside the I-shaped building and perhaps never return. Instead, Dr. Orwell was a professional-looking woman who was politely inviting them inside. Come on, she said, waving them inside with her black cane. Surely my receptionist made some cookies that you girls can eat in the waiting room. I made Klaus while I make Klaus Klaus's glasses. It won't take nearly as long as it did yesterday. Will Klaus be hypnotized? Violet demanded. Hypnotized? Dr. Orwell repeated, smiling. Goodness, no. Hypnosis is, is only in scary movies. The children, of course, knew this was not true. But they figured if Dr. Orwell thought it was true, then she probably wasn't hypnosis. Cautiously, they stepped inside the I-shaped building and followed Dr. Orwell down a hallway decorated with with medical certificates. This way to the office, she said. Klaus, tell me he's, Klaus tells me he's quite a reader. Do you two read as well? Oh yes, Violet said. She was beginning to relax. We read whenever we can. Have you encountered, Dr. Orwell said, in your reading the expression, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar? Tuzmo, Sunny replied, which meant something along the lines of, I don't believe so. I haven't read it too many time. T- I haven't read too many books about flies. Violet admitted. Well, the expression doesn't really have to do with flies. Doctor Orwell explained. It's just a fancy way of saying that you're more likely to get what you want by acting in a sweet way, like honey, rather than a distasteful way, like vinegar. That's interesting, Klaus said, wondering why Doctor Orwell would bring it up. I suppose you're wondering why I'm bringing it up, Doctor Orwell said, pausing in front of the door marked waiting room, but I think it will all be clear to you in just a moment. Now, Klaus, follow me into the office, and you girls can wait in the waiting room just through this door. The children hesitated. It will just be a few minutes, said Dr. Orwell. Well, all right, said Violet, and gave her brother a wave as he followed the optometrist further down the hall. Violet and Sunny gave the door a push and went inside the waiting room and saw... (sighs) and saw in an instant that Dr. Orwell was right. 
It was all clear to them in the moment. The waiting room was a small one, and it looked like the most looked like most waiting rooms. It had a sofa, a few chairs, a small table with old magazines stacked on it, and a receptionist sitting in the desk, just like the waiting rooms that you see in that you see or I have been in. But when Violet and Sunny looked at the receptionist, they saw something that I hope you never have to see in a waiting room. They saw a nameplate nameplate on the desk read, that read Shirley. But this was no Shirley, even though the receptionist was wearing a pale brown dress and sensible beige shoes for above the pale lipstick on Shirley's face and below the blonde wig on Shirley's head was a pair of shiny, shiny eyes that the two children recognized at once. Dr. Orwell, on behaving politely, Dr. Orwell, in behaving politely, had been the honey and instead of the vinegar. The children, unfortunately, were the flies. And Count Olaf was sitting at the reception desk with an evil smile. And they had caught, they had caught them at last. Yikes. Well, there's Count Olaf, huh, Pei? Are you still awake or are you sleeping? Oh, I guess she's asleep. No answer. <laughs>